10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone. This is the Old College Try. This is your t- host, Tim Highland, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, I'm very, very bad at math, as you know, correct? Oh, I'm great at it, Tim. That's why I went to journalism school. <laughs> but if I'm correct, there are now only 358 days until next Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's excellent. I didn't know where you're going with that, but uh, I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to go with that, and that's a very hopeful number. How was your Thanksgiving, Mike? Oh, it was tremendous. Here on the, here in Baltimore, we had like 70 degree temperatures. It was amazing. So we got to hang outside, played some ball with the nephews, ate, watched the Washington football team beat Dallas. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I made a specialty cocktail of an autumn fizz. Have you ever had an autumn fizz, Timmy? No, what is this? It is a gin, sparkling apple cider, lemon juice, a drop of agave nectar garnished with an apple slice, and it is absolutely delicious. I recommend everyone try it. That does sound very fallish. Oh, it was. That's why it's called an autumn fizz. It was a hit with everybody. So it was a, it was a great Thanksgiving. And of course, I went home. The best part of my well, not the best, but one of the best parts of my Thanksgiving is being able to go home right away after dinner and uh, had some folks over to my basement bar where we had. White Russians, of course, there was no Texas-Texas A&M game on Thanksgiving night, not even an Egg Bowl. I was right. very upset about that, but we had a great time anyway, and then I watched a whole lot of football for the rest of the weekend. How was yours? Uh, so it, it was just us, me, Aaron, and the kids. Um, just, your, just your family of 15. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I texted you guys. Aaron, you know, Aaron just goes out and checks boxes when it's like shopping for stuff. So it's like Thanksgiving, buy a turkey, she bought, bought a turkey. She brought home turkey. And I, I looked at it in the fridge. I'm like, it looks like a pretty big bird. But I was thinking like 20, 21 pounds, which I've done in the past, right? Um, I took it out on Sunday to start defrosting it. Like it was a 26-pound turkey. Wow. I, first of all, it barely fit in my roasting pan. I had to like squeeze it in there. Um, it was also a very weird-looking turkey. Like besides being large, it was just like – so I always, I always make my turkey breast side up. And I know it's a very controversial topic. Um, that's why I've always done it and always works out fine or whatever. And I thought <laughs> I had it breast side up. I take it out. Um, when it's done, I start carving it. I'm like, Aaron, this is a really weird turkey. Like this meat up here is like looking kind of weird. It was actually breast side down the entire time, Mike. Never yeah. tasted better turkey in my entire life. Really interesting. Well, I was going to say you've never been very good at identifying breasts. So, uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was just the, just the six of us. It actually was kind of like nice and you know, we missed seeing the broader family, but it was uh, just a nice chill day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of the weekend, the weather was fantastic and it was just good. We went Christmas yeah. shopping up in uh, Chestnut Hill, which is a little beautiful neighborhood in Philadelphia. So overall good times. And I went back to work on Monday and it was the same old crap. Like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the football, you know, we had, we, we were missing some of our, our uh, our staple matchups for Thanksgiving Day weekend, but uh, there were some great games still. There was a lot of, as we'll get to, there was, there was a lot of awesome football. 
let's get right to it. Number two, Notre Dame 31, number 19, North Carolina 17. Um, I think we've said it a lot this year, Mike. You, it's just amazing how Mac Brown seems to be the only person who can win at UNC in Texas. Interesting lead into a game where they got dominated and lost 31-17. I do agree. <laughs> but uh, Notre Dame controlled the game. Watched it, watched, I watched most of this one um, after a long, coming back from a long hype on the Appalachian Trail, which uh, so to, when I say I watched it, uh, I napped through some of it and watched some of it. <laughs> but uh, it was my lock of the week. Props to me. Notre Dame, boy, they look like just a complete team. And I really cannot wait to see them play a Clemson team that's firing on all cylinders. Great win for, for Notre Dame, Brian and Kelly and, and, and uh, crew going down there to Chapel Hill. But, yes, tip of the cap to Mac Brown. He's made – North Carolina relevant again. And look, UNC, I've watched them a couple times. They're a fun team to watch. They're a legit good team. To your point, I, it's just um, Notre Dame is really good. They're a really good football team. Um, all due credit to them. We'll have more to say on Notre Dame later, right, Mike? Absolutely. Uh, number 13, Iowa State 23. Number 17, Texas 20. Uh, a lot to say here. Um, Tom Harmon is just not working out at Texas, Mike. At this point, this is like year four. Five? Yeah, four. Um, you would think that there would have been some marked progress at this point. There simply isn't. Recruiting's a problem now. Um, I'm not sure what his contract situation is. Harbaugh's got a very challenging issue to face there. Um, and then you, you're playing a guy, Iowa State, who everyone's in love with. How many people on the board of trustees of Texas are thinking, hmm, <laughs> maybe that's our guy over there? I was just thinking the same thing. There, there are so many rich Texan, Texas donors who are probably wishing they could just have at halftime have gone and, and snatched up Matt Campbell and moved him to the other sideline. <laughs> um, we've started a, a, a classic part of the college football offseason a little early, and that is um, sightings of coaches' wives looking for real estate in the city. Have you seen oh, yeah. that <laughs> on Twitter? Apparently, uh, Urban Myers. Quote unquote, a quote unquote Urban Meyer's wife is looking for real estate in the Austin area, which I always have a, a great chuckle with that. Um, I don't know what Tom Herman's contract situation is either, but I have no doubt that Texas, if they want to make a move, will make a move. And the team is just regressing. I did not get to watch this game, but I think it's a, it, it comes as a shock to no one that Iowa State won. And if you want to take a step back and look at, look at that statement from a macro uh, point of view, it, it comes as a, no, as a shock to no one that Iowa State beat Texas. That's not where Texas wants to be as a program. And I know you've pushed back on this, Mike, when I've talked about it. There's an awful lot of discussion the past few years where people, I think smartly, are looking at programs like Nebraska and Michigan and asking the question, take the history out of the equation, given the current landscape of not just college football, but given the current landscape of American demographics and population shifts, is it even reasonable to expect those programs to achieve the heights that they've had in the past? I think the answer is no. Now, Well, you just listed Nebraska and Michigan, and I would agree with you on Nebraska and Michigan, but I would not agree that Texas is in that category. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. This is the weird one. Again, except for Mac Brown, Texas, in, for the majority of our lifetime, have not been very good. They've been an average program. Occasional, like, good, but, like, you would never say that they've been consistently great, right? The question yeah. is, given that they are not impeded by those population shifts that have clearly hurt Nebraska and Michigan, 
what is wrong with, when you have all the resources in the world, when you have your own television network, when you're sitting in probably the third most fertile recruiting state in the country, when money is no object, when you are the flagship institution in the state, what can possibly be hard about winning there? I don't understand. I, I don't either. I, I heard a very interesting uh, conversation about this on the radio this week, and I wish I could remember who was talking about it so I could give them credit, but I can't. Um, they were talking about, it might have been even New Heisel, they were talking about how when Texas A&M went to the SEC, that really opened up a lot of Texas recruits who would either have then, would eat, really were Big 12 recruits. They were going to go to Texas, Texas A&M, or Oklahoma, or even going back in time to Nebraska. But once Texas A&M went to the SEC, and they and the that was it kind of coincided with the time where the SEC really and SEC read Bama and LSU a bit too right. started dominating. A lot of those Texas recruits, you know, Texas high school kids started looking at SEC schools when in the past they wouldn't have. Now I don't think that's an excuse for Texas to be as mediocre as it is right now, but I thought that was kind of an interesting theory. I mean, something is just a mess. I, I, I don't know. It's, it seems the kind of place that you should be able to win. Oh, of course. Um, but again, like the, it is what, like the, look at the records. It, the only <laughs> fallback theory I have is that it's just too fun to live in Austin and you can't focus on football, right? That's my yeah. only thing. Yeah, Austin is a world-class awesome city. No doubt about that. Oregon State 41, number 15, Oregon 38. Uh, I watched this game like a crazy insane game. Awesome game. First of all, the weather was pure Civil War weather, and I know how we discussed last week that, that the rivalry is not called the Civil War anymore, and I'll try and wean myself off that, but I can't do it when I just learned about that a week ago. <laughs> Classic weather, almost the exact same weather we had when we were in Corvallis, Tim. You know, misty, rainy, foggy. Uh, you could barely see the field. Props to Jonathan Smith and that Oregon State Beaver program because they were outstanding the whole game. I really don't think Oregon played that poorly. Maybe they did on defense, but their offense was good. It was just a very well-played, entertaining game. I was watching this game um, with my girlfriend, Allison, and she was uh, uh, taken aback by both teams' uniforms. <laughs> very difficult to watch. Although – she mentioned, and I think it was a good point, uh, it really could have been a, an actual tangible advantage for Oregon wearing those hideous neon yellowish green jerseys in that thick, thick fog and mist because, uh, you know, it really could help with the vision. So uh, props to the Ducks there, but great, great game. Very fun Friday night game on Thanksgiving weekend. It does feel like that game is entertaining almost every single year. Yeah, it does. Uh, number 24, Iowa 26, Nebraska 20. Speaking of programs that are aimless. Now, again, same thing. Scott Frost came in as like, like Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh as their, that's their dream guy. Like that's it. Everything. There's no one else. There's no plan B. No, that's it. And I think Scott Frost is the same thing for Nebraska. And look, their records before they got to their, those schools indicated they were going to be the guy, right? It's not happening for <laughs> Scott Frost in Nebraska. Now, I, I am – Definitely in line with the group who thinks that everything about the, this year, not everything, but a lot of what's happening this year is an outlier. So I'm, yes. I'm, I'm um, hesitant to um, cast aside any coach given what's happened this year. I think everyone gets a pass. That's my thought on it, honestly. 
Um, but Nebraska is the same thing. I don't think it's so much as a fact that you can't win in Nebraska. I think the reality is that Bo Pelini is the new reality for what the ceiling is in Nebraska. I, I first, I, I tend to agree with you. Absolutely. Um, but also I would look at, for whatever reason, I'd give Scott Frost a much longer leash than Harbaugh. I'm not quite sure why I even say that, but I, I just have this gut feeling that Frost will be able to turn it around where I've arrived at a place where I think Harbaugh is done. Hmm. Uh, number one, Bama 42, number 22, Auburn 13. Um, we've been saying all year as well, Mike, this Alabama team is just really, really good. Yeah, you know, and this was, of course, the Iron Bowl uh, game day was there. Nick Saban was not, but it still just didn't have that Iron Bowl feel to me. I watched most of the game, but uh, it was not even ever in doubt or in question. I mean, it was – this Alabama team is so freaking good. Uh, Mac Jones is playing lights out at quarterback. Their defense has improved as the season has go, goes on. They've got weapons everywhere on offense. They're just, they're just clicking along, and Auburn was nothing but a speed bump for them. So I, I, did, I didn't hear the actual interview yet, but I saw some chatter on social media. I guess Kirk Herbstreet was on the Solid Verbal podcast this week, and it said something about um, having concerns about the future of the game because of the consolidation of power within this top three, four teams. And yeah. this mindset that could be creeping into the game where it's like, well, if you're not in the top four, then what are you playing for? Well, of course, that was something that we knew was coming when the playoff came out. Right. The college football was always about, hey, if you were let's let's say you were eight and three, to uh, and you won both. Let's say both Bama and Auburn were eight and three, and they won the Iron Bowl. That would be considered nine and three, an Iron Bowl win, a great season, right? Um, but there's now with with the superpowers, uh, really, it's playoffs are bust, and that's what you have in college basketball as well. I'm not complaining about this. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I, I definitely have sensed it, and you can sense it. When you listen to college football shows on the radio, what is every single call about? Playoff scenarios. Right. Did this team go to the playoff? What happens if this – start? and it starts earlier and earlier in the season every season. Um, and it doesn't help that the same really four to six teams are the, are the contenders for the last five, six years. People say it's cyclical, and maybe it is. You know, maybe when Nick Saban finally retires or, or moves on, Bama will, will slip back. Maybe when Dabo – you know, moves on to whatever he does next. Clemson will take a step back. But, you know, it, I don't know. But I, I definitely kind of agree that uh, a playoff or, or bust mentality line of thinking has crept into the sport among the fans. Well, I, 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 part of me thinks, like, yeah, when Saban leaves, they can't possibly keep it up. But then I look yeah. at Ohio State, and it's like, well, geez, basically since Jim Tressel, except for the one-off the one year with Fickle, um, somehow they managed – like, Tressel – in my mind at that point had been the most successful coach in Ohio State history, given the reality of what he faced. Then you replace him with Urban Meyer, who was even better. And now you have Ryan Day, who seems to be doing just fine, Mike. And and Ryan Day is so young. And where is Ryan Day going to go? Okay, he might go to the pros. You know, he he could see – I could see him going to the pros, but he's going to be at Ohio State, I think, for a long time, at least till they win. And when you're at Bama Clemson and they've built such incredible infrastructure, like you said last week, like – how many quality control coaches that are former head coaches does Bama have now? I mean, like, yeah, three. that's not going away. The money's yeah. still there. Um, so it's very possible that Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, I, I think those are clearly the three top, without question, yeah. uh, can just stay good forever if they want. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? 
depressing if you're not them. Uh, speaking of which, number nine, Georgia, 45. South Carolina, 16. I didn't see this game, Mike. Um, was Georgia really that much better? Or I did, I did not see it at all. I, I, I discussed it um, a lot with uh, noted listener Brian Schlater during the afternoon. I was at his house in his basement bar watching the Indiana-Maryland game, which we'll get to. Um, he was somewhat nervous just because, for whatever reason, South Carolina has played Georgia well historically over the years. But South Carolina had a million people out with COVID, and even if they had their everybody there, they, they're not nearly as good a team as Georgia. Did not watch this game, and uh, from what I hear and read and the highlights I saw, it was never in question. Number 12, Indiana 27, Maryland 11. So I missed it because I was watching my exciting game. Like, from all of your texts, this sounded like a really bad game. This was a horrible game, especially <laughs> in the first half. Both teams played awfully. Michael Penix, before he got hurt, was terrible. He missed throw after throw after throw. You could really see a hangover on, uh, by Indiana coming off that Ohio State game, which is completely understandable. As for Maryland, they hadn't played in three weeks. But I, what I didn't even know until the game, they hadn't even practiced. They had not had a single practice in two and a half weeks. And boy, did it show. Uh, Tua Vailoa was awful. He missed passes by five to ten yards. He threw picks. Uh, Maryland was missing his best receiver. It was missing offensive linemen out due to COVID. So, again, you talk about this being a season where you give people a pass. I'm not going to sit here and rip Maryland for playing poorly against a very good team on the road after having three, two and a half weeks in the middle of the season with no practice. But, boy, could you see. You could tell. You could anyone – you, don't have, you didn't have to be a great football fan to tell. It was just uh, neither team was playing great. In the second half, Indiana kind of woke up. They established the run because Maryland's a very poor run defense. They just decided to run it the whole time. And then, of course, Penix um, got hurt, and he's now out for the season. So uh, Indiana is under the tutelage of the leadership of Jack Tuttle, an Ohio – or, pardon me, a Utah – University of Utah transfer. And he came in and looked really very sharp. And uh, everything I've read says he's – you know. He was highly regarded when he transferred to uh, Indiana. Well, as highly regarded as someone who's transferring from Utah to Indiana can be. Right. But, uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to see him play against Wisconsin on Saturday. And I'm, I'm confident that, of course, it'll be a drop-off, but not a huge drop-off. To your point about, again, people I don't think, think about, I think people are so focused on um, COVID itself and managing and trying to prevent the spread. Of, like, but they're not thinking about, how hard it is to coach a football team and prepare a football team when, for example, a lot of these teams like Penn State did not meet as a full football team from March until like two weeks ago. That like football is a sport where, and this is where my wife Erin rolls her eyes about it. I'm like, Erin, like the team culture is so important. Like you need to get to this point where everyone is an equal and everyone's doing their job for the team, right? And it sounds like goofy, whatever, but it's true. And if you can't have the team together, doing things together as a whole team, that's a problem. (laughs) Especially practicing. (laughs) I'm not talking about team building, you know, outings to the bowling alley. I agree with you on that too, but actual practice, these are college kids and Maryland is is a team that's, you know, growing and developing. And it was painfully obvious that they had had no practice time. Speaking of painfully obvious, that that uh, Penn State 27, Michigan 17. Now, I've been critical, obviously, of Penn State for most of this year. I will say, and I'm sure you didn't watch this game because you're watching Indiana, um, Penn State could have easily at 0-5 said, hey, F this season, what's the point? We're packing it in. They came out on their first drive and physically 
dominated Michigan up front, touchdown Penn State, and they basically ran the game. I mean, like, made some mistakes, Michigan hung around. But Michigan, I cannot tell you how shocked I was by how little energy, emotion, passion, the horrible tackling by Michigan. I mean, we talked about Penn State going through the motions a couple weeks ago in the, I think it was the Nebraska game. Mm-hmm. This was more pronounced. And there's been so much discussion about Don Brown being a defensive genius. Again, I know there's COVID complications, but man, his defense, they, they when I say they were not trying, they were not trying. Like, I, I couldn't tell you one guy on Michigan, the whole team eventually, that showed any kind of spirit or care at all. Um, it's a really bad look for Michigan. And this is where I'm like with Harbaugh, He's got one year left on his contract. So here's the problem. A, if you're Michigan, no way in hell do you want to re-up him, right? Yeah, you certainly can't extend him. But then, of course, if you, if you don't extend him, that kills you in recruiting. I'm recruiting sorry. is post. Yeah, you're absolutely dominated in recruiting. So they're in a real tough spot. The only way this resolves, and I, David Jones is talking about this on his post-game show um, on Sunday, he's like, the best thing for Michigan probably is – for this mutual parting, like say, okay, we tried, it's not working out. But he's like, Jim, that is not in Jim Harbaugh's DNA. He, there's no way in hell that Jim Harbaugh is going to quit on Michigan. He can't do it. Yeah. Right? So it's going to be status quo. They still don't have a quarterback. Um, I do think it was a bad blow for them. Um, The freshman kid got hurt on the first drive, hurt his shoulder pretty bad, came back in. But when I say he did not take a shot down the field the entire game, he did not take one shot down the field the entire game, which hamstrung them, obviously. Um, but, man, they look bad. I, I, I've seen Penn State look as bad as that this year. And the one other team I'll say real quick that I watched on – was it um, Saturday night? LSU is just as bad, Mike. Oh, God. Yeah, LSU, LSU is atrocious. Yeah. Um, they're going to be – they're going to have a – I saw this today. They'd be one of only four – defending national champions have a losing record the next year in the last, I think it was a hundred years. Yeah. LSU is terrible. Let me uh, jump in on a couple things. One, I did have, we did have the Penn state Michigan game on for uh, Brian to his credit has three TVs in his basement. Very well done Schlater. And I was watching a lot of that game and I could tell you, you're absolutely right. And the befuddled look on Jim Harbaugh's face every time they showed him on the sideline is telling you can tell that the team is taking its energy or lack thereof from him. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to end for him there, but it, uh, it's not just that they're losing. It's that they look disinterested, I think, is a, is a main, main problem. Uh, LSU was terrible, but props to them for scoring a meaningless touchdown with a minute left to get the cover. I give them credit for that. Um, and there's, I know we have a couple more games, but there was one that was not on your list that I want to talk about real quick. Washington, Utah, late night. We watched that one down in my basement bar, the bungalow. Yeah. Uh, 21-0 Utah got out to, I believe it was 21-0 Utes. They got out to that start. And Washington came all the way back in an outstanding effort and just an awesome late night Pac-12 game. And and when you watch late night Pac-12 games like that, you know, you kind of forget, uh, you know, what all these teams are going through and, and what kind of season we're having. It was just one of those moments where, you know, maybe you have a little bit of coin on the game, but even if you don't, you're just happy to have college football at that point. So props to, to Washington and, uh, and Utah for that game. Finally, Mike, and this is – for people who are not fans of teams in the Big Ten, 
I know, <laughs> which is a lot of a lot of people who listen to this podcast. It, it's hard to explain the phenomena that is Sparty. Um, oh, yes. Sometimes you you go into a game against them and they're having a horrible year, and you know you'll win by sixty, right? But at the same time, that same team that's horrible could do what they did last week, Northwestern. They're just a maddeningly unpredictable team <laughs> in every regard. They always have been since I was a little kid watching them. Michigan State 29, number eight, North, Northwestern 20. We were lauding Northwestern last, as, as I think everyone was, right? Like they were having a phenomenal season. Um, no one thought that Michigan State, who has looked so bad <laughs> this year, had any chance. This is a classic Sparty, is it not? Oh my God. So. I don't know. I, I probably could say this 50 times during my lifetime. I have no idea why I did this, but I bet on Northwestern. I bet against Michigan State. They're, again, they're <laughs> one of those teams that no matter whether you bet on them or bet against them, it's a bad move. Yeah. Um, so I watched the entirety of this game. First of all, it was a wildly entertaining game. Props to Northwestern for the way they came back. Sparty came out and were playing like the, you know, 94 Dallas Cowboys. They were up 17 nothing. They're playing with more energy. You know, I watched them against um, Indiana, and we watched them uh, in some other games where they looked like they, they were looking at their watches. They couldn't wait to get off the field, right? This was the polar opposite of that. They came out on fire. Again, credit to Northwestern. Northwestern came roaring back. It was a, it was a back-and-forth game, outstanding game. And then uh, the last play, of course, Northwestern is hopelessly behind, and they attempt to lateral that results in a touchdown uh, uh, with no time on the clock for Michigan State that affects some people who have a little, uh, a little stake in the game, which I always chuckle at that. It wasn't me. I had already lost. But uh, it was a great game. It was a really entertaining game. And, and to your point, you're right. It is very hard to describe just how Jekyll and Hyde Sparty is. And every time you think you have a beat on them, you don't. Because what's weird about them is, like, they recruit – they have – they always have a good – there's always talent there. It's not Ohio State, Michigan talent, obviously, right. but they have, like, that next-level guy. They just seem to get guys who are, like, schizophrenic or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, they just can't do anything consistently at all. Um, uh, yeah. It's, they're fun to have in the conference in that regard. It's the ultimate wild card. Isn't that, like, Michigan State? Yeah. Is uh, all right, top 25, of course, is now the CFP rankings. Mike, are you ready for this? Yep. Uh, drop from rankings, uh, Texas and Auburn. Oh, my God, Texas and Auburn. What a great pair. Great pair. They should switch coaches. Gus to Texas, Herman to uh, Auburn. That'd be great. All right, 25, Louisiana, 24, Tulsa, 23, Oregon, 22, Washington, 21, Marshall. I'd like to see Marshall in there, but I'm, 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 I'm a Washington fan after watching their comeback against Utah. That was a great comeback. 20 SC, 19 Iowa, 18 Coastal Carolina, 17 North Carolina, and 16 Whiskey. Back-to-back Coastal Carolina and North Carolina. Coastal Carolina, a school that I'm not even sure I knew existed until this year. <laughs> uh, 15 Okie State, 14 Northwestern, 13 BYU, 12 Indiana, 11 Oklahoma. Uh, Okie State had a really entertaining game against Texas Tech on Saturday as well. I believe it was 50-44 to 44 the Cowboys won. It was a classic kind of Big 12 game. That was on our third screen. 10 Miami, 9 Iowa State, 8 Georgia, 7 Cincy, 6 Florida. 
Miami, has there ever been a more anonymous top 10 team? No, I, I, again, I don't think I've seen them play at all this year. I don't think I have. Well, I saw, you, you know, we saw uh, maybe a, a quarter or half of their game against Clemson when they got absolutely boat raced, and that's it. And now they're, in, they're still in the top 10. Yeah. Uh, five A&M, and of course, Mike, you'll be shocked to hear the top four are Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Bama. Snooze, snore, <laughs> boring. Uh, all right, news items, Mike. Real quick, remember Mackenzie Milton? Yes, one of he he's he's in a club with uh, Alex Smith and Joe Theismann uh, and the horrific quarterback injury. Uh, three, again, it was right there. Like those, that was one of the worst things. That was horrible to see. Um, of course, former UCF player was having was just a phenomenal player. He was outstanding. Um, suffered a horrible leg injury. Well, he's back and he's in a transfer portal. And as a Penn State fan, I hope James Franklin's calling him. Like, do you think he can play? I mean, it's been, what, has it been two years since that? I think it's been two years, yeah. Yeah. Um, worth a shot, right? Yeah, definitely worth kicking the tires. I agree. Uh, Mike, so Coastal Carolina, who is in the top 20, um, their game this week was supposed to be against Liberty. Um, Liberty has COVID issues. Game was canceled. And this is why I, I, I do admire these ADs who are allowed to be, like, have flexibility and be nimble in this crazy environment. Well, what, two days after that game is canceled, Coastal Carolina and BYU arrange a game, and they're playing this weekend. That's awesome, and I wonder how much ESPN had to do with this because they're going to Coastal Carolina for game day this week. <laughs> so something tells me ESPN had a hand in this. But, boy, that's going to be a great, great matchup, BYU and Coastal Carolina. They're both undefeated. Here we have two undefeated teams playing on the 6th of December. That's late in the season, no matter what conference you're talking about. Um, I have no idea what time this game is or what network it's going to be on. I'm assuming it's going to be on one of the ESPN properties. Yeah, it looks like ESPNU. Um, so that's going to be great. I, I think that's awesome. And I, and I, I agree with you. I applaud the, uh, the nimbleness of these athletic directors who are making, an, uh, making these matchups. Um, and this is embarrassing to ask. I just don't know. I doubt you do either, Mike. Is Coastal Carolina on the coast? Yeah, it's in South Carolina near Myrtle Beach, apparently. <laughs> That's funny. I thought it was North Carolina. <laughs> no, I believe it's in South Carolina, but I'm going to fact check myself. I think it's near Myrtle Beach. All right. Uh, there's been more cancellations, of course. Michigan, Maryland is canceled, and uh, 10 bowl games have been canceled so far. I mean, obviously, what's the point of a bowl game at this point? Like, the whole point is to – it's tourism, and there's no – Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, but I kind of wish they would just play them at the um, – at the at the school stadiums yeah. like there's, there's obviously no point in flying everybody to vegas for a game where no one's going to be there and you're not going to be able to go out and do anything or el paso i mean they canceled the sun bowl which i was sad to see and the holiday bowl these are great kind of second tier bowls that i love watching but there's no reason to do that but why not just uh, you know get two schools together match them up and say we'll come play at one of this one of your schools uh, um stadiums and we'll call it the, the, the holiday bowl and we'll televise it just well, I was thinking out tonight, like look I, I like i know interstate travel is a thing right well it's like okay obviously hey penn state and pitt just play a game somewhere right like yeah. I, I mean, is it that hard marshall and west virginia like i don't know like just play the game like i think it's good for the kids i think the fans would enjoy it like anything we can get and if you can do it safely why not do it this is the year to do it um, yeah, call it the call it the the, the Wawa versus Sheets Bowl. Uh, that would be awesome, would, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be incredible. 
And think of the, the sponsorship dollars from Wawa and Sheets for that game. It would be awesome. They pour in. Uh, finally, Mike, Sarah Fuller, Vanderbilt. So I did make it a point. I watched the game. I felt, first of all, congratulations to her. It's no small achievement to become the first woman to participate in a Power 5 game. Um, I so desperately wanted her to get a shot for an extra point or a field goal. Unfortunately, Vanderbilt is really bad. <laughs> they, couldn't even, they didn't even threaten to get into even field goal range for, a, you know, for a, an all-pro kicker. Right. So her only opportunity to play was a second-half kickoff. Again, I said last week I was annoyed but not surprised by the reaction of these very insecure males who, A, don't understand football or kicking or special teams, but just felt the need to bash her for her kickoff. The reality is she did precisely what she was asked to do, <laughs> which was basically not allow them to return the kick. She got it down in an area where it was like not returnable, done. She did her job. Like, um, yeah, about the, thir- the 35 yard line or so, I think is where, uh, where the, the field position. But was. again, the number of guys who felt the need to like say like, see, I told you she can't kick. It's like, oh my God, like, where does that come from? Where's that it- come from? Well, it's just it's just insecurity and also the the cloak of anonymity on social media. Yeah, that's really the worst the worst thing about it. The last I checked, she was still listed as the first team kicker for this week. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, she, she's apparently still with the team, and 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 she's going to play. And I mean, all you have to do is li- uh, listen to the reactions of some of the female, you know, um, pundits. Uh, obviously, there are lots of male pundits lauding her achievement as well they should but there were lots of the reaction among the female kind of um sports reporters and writers and stuff i mean they found it truly inspirational and uh i mean that was i think it was i think it was awesome and uh, let's just take a step back who cares <laughs> if, a, if a if a woman kicks off for vanderbilt when they're losing 34 nothing at halftime or if they're winning 34 nothing at halftime who cares she's on the team she's a player on the yeah. team like it, she's on the team anyway um, games of the week, Mike. You ready? Ready. Louisiana at Appy State Friday. Wait, 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 wait. Tim, one more thing. Oh, you always ahead. forget the news items that I add. Go ahead. The ACC stepping in and simply canceling Notre Dame's and Clemson's final regular season games and decreeing that Notre Dame, uh, I think it's should they beat Syracuse this weekend and they're 30-something point favorites. They're, they are in the title game. And, of course, if Clemson beats Virginia Tech, they are in the title game. Uh, this was an interesting move. Obviously, it's 2020. It's COVID. This season is insane. You know, everybody's got to be agile. I understand all that. And, you know, if something had happened leading up to those games in the week pre- uh, preceding the game and the game had to be canceled, everyone understands that, right? You know, you, you, health, health is, and safety of the players is most important. But to preemptively cancel those games it really is a competitive advantage for those teams they can't they don't have to prepare for another opponent they don't have to travel they don't have to risk COVID they don't have to risk injury on the field um it's really kind of an interesting move by the ACC and it was not taken kindly by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey who promptly came out and said we're playing all our games um and I thought it was just in this, in this weirdest, strangest of years, it was yet another move that uh, I thought was a, just, just kind of an interesting move by the ACC, really desperately trying to get two of its, uh, of its members into the college football playoff. Do you think it was a cynical move? 
I do. I think, I, I, I think, was it fully cynical? No, but you can't tell me that, that, that the competition aspect of it did not enter into the thinking. I'll say it that way. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And I think it's probably less concerned. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it does seem somewhat calculated. Yes. Look, his job is, I guess, to, to act in the best interest of the conference. So you can make the case he's doing his job, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, question his motives. You know, I'm sure that the health and safety of the players did play a part, but it, it really does, you know, uh, stand out as kind of a, an odd move that none of the other conferences are, are doing. They're not preemptively canceling games. All right, my games of the week. Louisiana Appy State, Friday, 8.30 ESPN. Um, kind of a fun game for Friday night. Yeah, great Friday night game. Every other Friday night game is canceled uh, except for this one. This is a good one. 8-1 and one, Louisiana against 7-2 and two, Appy State. Appy State, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, I might tune into this one. This sound, you're right. Sounds like a fun, fun game to have on on Friday night. Of course, we just discussed Sparty being Sparty. Now, <laughs> number four, Ohio State at Michigan State, noon ABC. Of course, I think our immediate reaction is, of course, Ohio State wins by like 75 or something. Yeah. But who knows, right? That's the beauty of Michigan State, Mike. Yes. Well, they played well last week, which leads me to believe they're not going to play well this week. Of course, Ohio State will be without Coach Ryan Day. They're 23-and-a-half-point favorites. They have some other folks out on co uh, with COVID, too. I'm not sure um, exactly whom, but as, as long as they're not Justin Fields, I think Ohio State is going to smoke them, especially – because Ohio State needs style points at this point. You know, there's all this talk about, you know, they're only going to have six, seven games. What if they don't make it? What if they're not eligible for the Big Ten title game? They really need style points because the last time we saw them, they were, they were only winning by seven against admittedly great Indiana team. So I, I, think, uh, I think Ohio State takes care of business in a big way on, on Saturday. My favorite Sparty Ohio State memory, I think this was the 1998 season. Ohio State was number one in the country. One of the most talented Ohio State teams I'd ever seen in my life. That was like, I think D. Miller was still on that team. David Boston, defense was stacked. Um, number one in the country playing, I believe, unranked Sparty. Sparty beats them. Um, I was in the newsroom watching this game with the Bucks County Courier Times, Mike, my first year out of college. Ah, remember <laughs> newsrooms, yes. Uh, but yeah, like again, Sparty does have it in them for that kind of game. So we'll see. Uh, number five, A and M at Auburn, noon ESPN. A and M's having a great year. Jimbo's doing his job. I think Auburn has been eviscerated um, <laughs> mentally after last week. Yeah, I think A uh, and M smokes them. Yeah, the game is in Alabama, but uh, Auburn is a or A and M is a, a six and a half point favorite. A and M six and one. Auburn five and three. A uh, little bit worrisome the way. A&M played on offense last week against a not good LSU defense. Um, but A&M, to your point, they have something to play for. Auburn does not. And at this point in this season, I think that's a big deal. But it's funny, like, how wide is the gap in your mind between A&M and the Ohio State, Clemson, Bama, Notre Dame group? It's huge. Oh, we saw A&M play just get obliterated by Alabama earlier. I mean, this is another classic year that if, if, if A&M gets that fourth spot, um, I think Notre Dame is for real this year, but that fourth spot, if, if Ohio State doesn't get it and A&M does, um, even over Florida, I think even though A&M beat Florida, Florida to me looks like a, a, a more threatening team. But whoever that fourth team is, I think is going to get absolutely smoked again by Alabama. 
All right, so Mike, several years ago, um, you and I were both dismayed to learn that um, the Big Ten decided against, I think, better judgment for New Year's Day. So they always had tie-ins for the Outback Bowl, the Cap One Bowl, and there was one other bowl. And they were kind of spaced out, not the Rose Bowl, obviously. Um, but the Outback Bowl was an 11 a.m. kick, which we loved, right? Yeah. Loved. And the Cap One slash Citrus was always at one o'clock. Well, then they changed things and decided they were going to put, like, I think it's three games yeah. noon at the same time. And Jim Delaney's thought was, well, hey, let's have the Big Ten flood the zone on the noon window for January 1. I'll never understand that. Um, I think it was a mistake. But, Mike, on Saturday, flooding the zone. How about this? Nebraska at Purdue, noon, BTN, same time, Penn State at Rutgers, noon, FS1. That's flooding the zone right there, right? Oh, my God. What are the, what are the viewers going to do? <laughs> First of all, watch out Penn State. Oh, my God. No question. No question. Yeah. Rutgers is, is, is a spunky team. Yeah. They beat Purdue uh, last week. They played well against Ohio State. They played pretty well against Indiana. And Michigan. They beat Michigan State. Um, they could easily, easily win this game. And I believe Penn State's like an 11 or 12-point favorite in Piscataway. I would it's take crazy. Rutgers with that. It's crazy. Um, Nebraska and Purdue. Purdue, two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against a one-and-four Huskers, two-and-five Purdue. What are the ratings going to be on that one? <laughs> 0.1. Uh, I can't wait for that, that doubleheader there. Uh, number 12, Indiana. Number 16, Wisconsin, 330 ABC. I have my concerns here, Mike. Fascinating game here because as we've talked about on this podcast throughout the years, there's one, there's a few teams Indiana doesn't match up well, but but one that they just historically have have never even been competitive with is Wisconsin. There was just a physical size difference on both lines of scrimmage, and the way Wisconsin plays and runs the ball, just Indiana could not counter it. Now I do think this is a different Indiana team. Um, I think that their defense is much improved. Um, Wisconsin was held to seven points by Northwestern. Northwestern has a good defense, but so does Indiana. So I don't think Wisconsin's offense is all that. I think two touchdowns, Wisconsin 14-point favorites, I think is ridiculous against this Indiana team. Of course, IU starting a new quarterback, Jack Tuttle. That's going to be, of course, massively important, uh, important the way he performed and plays. But uh, I'm really psyched for this game. It's going to be a real exciting one at 3.30. Uh, Vandy at Georgia, or, uh, 4 p.m. SEC Network, just there because I'll be watching for Sarah Fuller, Bill Sarah. Take a field. 35 and a half point favorites, Georgia. I mean, wait, so Mason stepped down, right? Uh, he, he, he was forced to step down. He, he was <laughs> fired. Um, Vandy 0-8. Um, what do you do? You, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Vanderbilt can get James Franklin back after this year. <laughs> number 13, BYU at number 18, Coastal Carolina, 530. I love the 530 kick, Mike. Yeah, 5.30 kick is cool, and I, 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 there's no line that I see here, but I, I think I read on Twitter it said BYU is favored by 10. But uh, it's a shame they can't have fans, or I don't know what the situation fans-wise. They might have South Carolina. Yeah, maybe they have uh, 25 50, or 50% fans because that's going to be an awesome atmosphere down there in Conway, South Carolina. That is where Coastal Carolina is, is located. What's today. fascinating about this one is, so the prep for this game. So how many days – did these coaches have to prepare, watch film of these, right? Like, it's it's, well, we're recording this podcast on Thursday, and this the game was announced today. Right, so that's that's insane. I mean, yeah, 
I mean, Jack's high school coach spends two weeks prepping for opponents. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is it'll be fascinating to see this. Absolutely, like, in a way, it could be a very pure football game in that all of that prep is out the window. It's just playing football. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm going to definitely have this on one of my screens. I'm going to be exci- I'm excited for this game. Uh, number three, Clemson at Vought Tech. I'm going to go on a limb and say Clemson wins probably, Mike. Yeah, you know, I've, I've actually been hearing some chatter uh, about how this could be a little bit of a tough spot for Clemson. The weather um, might be a factor. It's going to be cold for sure. I don't know if there's any precip in the forecast. I'll check that out. But it's a 22-point spread for Clemson. You know, I, of course, you're not going to uh, predict a, uh, a, a Virginia Tech upset, but it possibly could be an exciting uh, um, closer game than the experts think, as Lee Corso would say, 7.30 under the lights there in Blacksburg, which is a, just a beautiful college football – or just a beautiful college town. Um, let me look at the weather real quick. Saturday, high of 40, low of 25. So no precip, but it's certainly going to be cold. Um, and it's the last game, last regular season game for Clemson. Going to be a fun one. The fun, it, I, I'm hoping for a competitive game just because there's not much on else on the uh, evening slate. Have you been to Vatek? For a wedding, not for a game. Oh, that's so right. I, the wedding, yes. yeah, I went, I went and uh, I looked uh, from the at the outside of the stadium. It's something we call tozering the stadium. We yeah. we went by and looked at the stadium when there was no one in there. How's the town? Oh, awesome, beautiful, beautiful, pretty, very pretty part of Virginia mountains. We the one the uh, wedding I went to was at a winery in the mountains. It was it was gorgeous, uh, and it was a college football Saturday. So I went. We went into town and went to a bar. This is in the before times. Boy, doesn't it sound just so so nice to just say that? Yeah. Went to town and went to a bar and watched a bunch of football during the day. And uh, I really liked the town. I thought it was really cool. Is it a small town? Yeah, very small town. Like State College or like smaller? Um, well, you know, I was only there one day, so I'm not sure. But I, I would say roughly, you know, kind of the same size as State College, if I had uh, to guess. Number one, Bama, LSU, APM, CBS. I pray for LSU in this game, Mike. This is going to be ugly. 29-point <laughs> favorites, uh, Alabama. And I'd, I'd have to take the, the tide minus the points. Again, the, the emotional fandom whiplash for LSU fans from Leicester this year has got to be just unbelievable. <laughs> I think they're tuned out. I mean, you, you just you just kind of go for two years on your adrenaline from last year, right? I Well, no, no. <laughs> They're all super, I mean, like, no. That's, That's true. That's not what a fan does. You're right about that. But <laughs> uh, Finally, of course, uh, yeah. the obligatory Pac-10 after dark, 10.30 kick, ESPN, Oregon State at Utah. I intend to watch, Mike. Oh, I like that. And, and we've been doing a pretty good job of watching the Pac-12 after dark this year. We also have UCLA at Arizona State also at 10.30, so I might have both those games on my screen. Although, Timmy, I might I might have to go to bed early because, of course, Arsenal-Tottenham on Sunday. The North London Derby, Mike. That's right. I'm having, a, I'm having some people over, including some Tottenham fans, to watch that on Sunday morning. Mike, can I go on a soccer rant real quick? Cool. I guess. We've lost most of our listeners. We're an hour in. So I think you, you are definitely new to the sport, obviously. But um, soccer brought in video review a couple of years ago. Initially, it was just to – <laughs> judge if the ball crossed the line and it was a goal right that was fine now as you know they yeah. literally review every goal and they are calling back goals on things that happen two minutes before the goal happens um it's maddening and it's an issue because you can't actually celebrate a goal now because you have to wait like oh 
but they're reviewing it. Like, yeah. what is this, Mike? It's, it's, I hate it. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's terrible. And earlier this season, I think it was this season, they, ha- they screwed up the most obvious non-goal. I, don't, I wish you could remember the game, but the, the goalie basically caught the ball, but he was standing in the goal. That was the Villa game. <laughs> okay, yeah, the Villa game. And, and he was standing in the goal, and you're like, oh, at least they have video review. That's clearly a goal, and they screwed that up. Uh, it sucks. Anyway, um, Mike, it always pains me to ask, our locks last week were what? Well, Timmy, you, made, you, you committed the cardinal sin. You picked against Penn State. You can neither pick for nor against Penn State. You took Michigan minus two. Obviously, they got beat. You're two and eight. I took the Fighting Irish in Notre Dame. They won, so I move up to 500, five and five. And I'm what now? Two and something? You're two and eight. That's awesome. Yeah, um, great. Bobby at the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't gamble. I don't. Pusher. I never Pusher. have, and I never will. Yeah, right. The Mike Unger 50-50 possible lot, probably loser of the week. Please hang up and try again. Tim, for this week's Lock of the Week, we are going to a place that you and I have been to and we hold dear in our hearts, and that is Knoxville, Tennessee, Nayland Stadium, home of the Volunteers. They host Florida coming in. The Gators are 17-point favorites against a reeling 2-5 and five Tennessee team. What in the world could Tennessee possibly be playing for? We've talked about it throughout this podcast as a theme at this point in college football. Um, who's going to play? Who's going to be motivated? I don't think Tennessee will be. Um, head-to-head, Florida is 6-1 and one against the number of their last seven trips to Knoxville. I think you got uh, Florida wanting to play well in order to, to round into form for their big showdown with Alabama in a couple weeks. Of course, Kyle Trask needs the stats for the Heisman. I think Florida's going to pound it and really run it up on Tennessee, so I'll take the Gators minus 17. I am, uh, based on my watching Vandy last week, I'll take Georgia to cover no matter the line, Mike. <laughs> it's the, that, that, that's, a pretty good, that's a pretty good bet. I think Georgia is 35-and-a-half point uh, favorite. So 35-and-a-half, you're giving that. Uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a good bet. What is your plan? Be awesome, though, if it's, if it's like 37 nothing, and then Sarah Fuller kicks a field goal <laughs> with, uh, you know, two seconds left to, to give Vandy to cover. I'd be happy. I'd be happy with Georgia. Even some that would even make some some trolls on Twitter happy, probably. No, well, probably not. Um, Mike, your plans this weekend are what? Uh, not that many plans this weekend. It's supposed to be actually kind of crappy around here, unfortunately. So I'll be watching a, a ton of ball. I'm really looking forward to the uh, IU Wisconsin game, and then I'll be watching the Clemson game. Having a couple people over to my basement bar, the bungalow, and then, like I said, it's uh, it's Tyler Sloan Tottenham on Sunday morning. So are you going to Mahaffey's for that or no? Uh, no, I'll be, I'll be, I'm going to have people over. Mahaffey's is, for all its um, wonderful attributes, it's not a great place to watch a game, especially during a pandemic. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, folks, thanks again for listening. Uh, we always appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, of course. The numbers with COVID are getting a little bit scary, obviously. Um, this winter is going to be tough, Mike. Yeah, it's going to be brutal, especially once the football season ends. Uh, the end of January and February and into – early parts of March are going to suck. One day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. That's right. It's Thursday. We're we're close to the weekend. (laughs) All right, Mike, there's one thing to say. Put your
Podcast. Thank you for listening to the TCFA Podcast. For more college football news and wit, visit intelligentcollegefootball.com.